0: Welcome to Justice Spoonful, the podcast that is young and fully sick. Everyone you hear speaking on this podcast is a young person who is disabled and or chronically ill, including me, Caitlin Blythe. Yes, it's been a couple of years. A lot has changed, including my name, new surname from Plyley to Blythe. But this is still the same old JASP where each episode I chat to a guest who is also living with disability and or chronic illness, and we have a long form conversation about how we're living and what we live for. This is the 2021 season of Just A Spoonful. I haven't released an episode since early 2019. Um, I had big ideas back then of releasing a new season of the podcast, but the thing is, I was having one of the worst mental health periods of my life, Um, so everything kind of got dropped. I started feeling a little bit better at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, started feeling like doing things again, getting out more, and then the funniest thing happened Anyway, so I'm back now, and I will be releasing a new episode every second Friday from now until finishing on the International Day of People with Disability, the 3rd of December 2021. Uh, So you'll get uh, a new conversation every fortnight, finishing on Disabled Christmas. Big thank you to my Patreon subscribers for making it possible for me to do this work. Um, Basically, wouldn't still be here doing this without you. Um... Uh, My Patreon has kept me going through the employment drought and uh, extra, uh, you know, expenses of living through a pandemic. Uh, So very, very grateful to my Patreon. Thank you. Before I get to this episode's guest, I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is created on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people. During lockdown, my neighbourhood has found solace in the surviving pockets of bush, whether it be walking along Darabin Creek watching the one seal who fishes there, or walking through forests. And um, Before colonization, this area would have been teeming with life, rich grasslands and woodlands, kangaroos, emus, bandicoots, native orchids, and clean running water. So I extend my respect to elders past and present, and all who have looked after this country for thousands of generations, and whose connection to the land is ongoing, surviving through white supremacist genocide, which is also ongoing. So-called Australia should be returned to its traditional custodians. Sovereignty was never ceded. My guest this episode is musician and broadcaster Scott Mercer from Mianjin, also known as Brisbane. This interview was recorded in June 2018 at my home, while Scott was down visiting Narm slash Melbourne for a few days. We recorded two podcast episodes back to back, one for my podcast, this one, and one for his podcast, Gimme Empathy. I've put the link to my Gimme Empathy crossover episode in the show description. So while you're listening to this interview, please keep in mind that we had just recorded uh, an hour plus, I think, conversation for his podcast, and we were going straight into recording an hour plus conversation for my podcast, so my voice is really deteriorating by the end of it, and I, I think you can hear how fatigued I am, but we had a lot of fun, as always. Love a good chat with Scott. I met Scott years ago when we both had radio shows on Brisbane's community radio station 4 z He was then co-hosting Exit Stage Z and I was co-hosting Megahertz. Uh, you can now hear Scott still on 4 z hosting Live Delay. Scott started out as one of Just a Spoonful's first most dedicated listeners. When he first started listening to this podcast he thought of himself as a person without any chronic conditions just enjoying interviews with disabled and chronically ill people but then in his late 20s he found out that he was one of us. Scott was diagnosed with fascio scapular humoral muscular dystrophy and he talks a little bit about how being a musician played a part in his diagnosis. We also talk about how it feels when you realize you're only going to get sicker. So you try to do as many of your favorite things as you can before you might not be able to do them any longer. We talk about the meaningfulness of community radio and how he wants to collect all of the former hosts of the 90s TV show, The Glass House, like Pokemon. It's a really fun conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Here's Scott Mercer. (coughs) such a long time since i've done this so scott we were just
1: talking because this is a crossover episode it's a crossover i'm trying to remember the exact um bojack horseman what, what's mr peanut butter do when he's
0: oh I f- is that what you were referencing yeah oh man i forgot
1: he, about that he like bursts in and is like "Uh oh it's mr peanut butter <laughs> is this a crossover episode bojack is that, that's the thing right <laughs>
0: Probably. It sounds like Mr. Peanut butter. All right. So at the same time, we have to say it's It's a a crossover crossover episode.
1: J-S-P-G-E 2018. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. It's what the people
0: wanted. Um, So we were just talking off mic uh, about um, because you flew into Melbourne this morning and then as soon as you got to my place, you've pulled out a Ziploc bag of chopped veggies. And I thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, But you were explaining exactly why you were carrying veggies with you today.
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, I knew I was going to be hungry at some point because sometimes your belly runs out of food. um, If you're a a, a human or an animal. Mm. Um, But also specifically today, because today uh, like I I don't fly to Melbourne every day. um, So it's a bit of a disruption to my routine. So Uh, Sometimes what I do to uh, kind of not freak out about things is to put as much routine into unusual situations as possible. So um, this morning I got up nice and early because I had to go to the airport, but um, I still made myself my normal workday snack of um, beans and carrots and celery uh, as a way of um, keeping my day a bit more normal, I suppose.
0: So... You were saying that routine is really important and it's it's sort of maybe maybe for your mental health, I'm interpreting.
1: Is there a to be a better way, huh? What if um uh, your uh, setup was so much more
0: professional. <laughs> Damn. How
1: directional is it? Like is it's pretty
0: directional. It picks up a lot though. If we're
1: like both on like an equal angle, will that roughly like even out if we're like
0: Yeah, that'll be good.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Check alright. like one, two, is that is that is that a good um, level? Hey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, luckily we don't have that much background noise here, so when I ramp it up it should be fine. Okay. <laughs> <can flame> up. <laughs> um and it, my 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 washing is meant to like
1: A baffle. Provi- yeah.
0: Oh a baffle.
1: I think that's what Is that what it's called? When when you use something to um deaden the noise? Yeah. 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 I don't know
0: what it's called. <laughs> I never finished my four triple Z training. <laughs>
1: But You were an announcer. You were supposed to.
0: I was already an announcer. I didn't didn't like you know. It was it was like, oh, you have to do the training or you won't get a show. I already had a show.
1: <laughs> Sam, I know. Sam just drags in anyone she likes to 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 come do the show with her. And she really did. Would be damned.
0: She really did. well. She dragged me in, and then I was like, can I just stay? And they were like, yeah. It was the best. I was actually going to bring that up that I've met. Just like ha- having been a few years out from starting at triple Z, I made so many good friends there. You don't always know at the time if these are going to be like long-term people in your life yeah. when you meet them. And I was just reflecting on it and I was like, I met like, so many people that I really vo- still value re- like deeply at four triple Z. It was great.
1: Community radio is good for friendships.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. I guess it's the community part, but I wasn't expecting... Like, when I started at Triple 4ZZZ, triple I, I, I wasn't expecting just that to happen just because of how how much of an anarchic punk aesthetic it is there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's still got a bit of that image, but I feel like it, it is welcoming and nice, generally. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah.
0: I just thought that I was going to be, people were going to be looking at me and going, you're not punk enough.
1: Oh, okay, right, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, which I think there was a bit of that, but, like, Nobody was like everybody was so nice, and not not that I didn't think they would be nice. It's just that um, I I thought that we would be too different um aesthetically.
1: I think people for triple Z eventually work out how punk you are in your own way.
0: Hmm, that's really cool. Yeah, like I'm punk in my own way.
1: You're definitely punk. <laughs>
0: Am I? <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, because I don't listen to like Pussy Riot or. Uh, I don't know what's another
1: punk band. <laughs> but n- n- you don't have to be punk in terms of punk rock music or spiky hair. Like in terms mm-hmm. of being um uh you know a rebel. Like that's I think people will eventually figure that out if it's an organization of rebels and they'll respect what you're doing.
0: Cool. I like that. Are you punk, Scott?
1: Uh I don't think i am actually i don't think i'm enough
0: really but you're like really embedded in four triple z
1: yeah um wow you really turned that around i I've <laughs> I've
0: yeah that's right i'm interviewing you now ah yeah i've <laughs>
1: not been interviewed very much before actually i've interviewed i've probably interviewed hundreds of people um, yeah on podcasts and on radio i've been interviewed very few times. Um,
0: I, I oh well, then this is great. I'm, I'm flattered that you're letting me interview you. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I'm a, I'm a fan of Justice Spoonful. I listened to it for <gasps> a long time before I realized that I was eligible to be on it. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, that's actually an interesting story. No, because you you were one of my first listeners, but also one of my most helpful listeners because you would send me a little Facebook message and be like, "Hey, Caitlin, like you're you know something about the audio is off," and you and you. <laughs> I was so grateful because, you know, I just, I was really worried that people would just listen to it and be like, that's shit, turn it off. And then I would never know how to, what was wrong or how to fix it. But you would actually be like, um, I can't remember what it was, but it was like the,
1: I think it was a, like a stereo thing. Like, uh, uh, on some old episodes, um, it was like you in one ear and your guest in the other. And, mm, uh, yeah. and cause I, I listen to podcasts at work, but I only listen, I'm only allowed to have one earbud in at a time. Um. So I would just be hearing you or something and, like, five-minute gap while your guest was talking. Oh, oh,
0: but, like, I mean, you know, just me and then a five-minute gap is how I edited those episodes. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, see, that's interesting because I was never listening with just one earbud in. It never occurred to me to to do that. Oh, yeah,
1: I'm sure it wouldn't. Yeah, and, like, um, I don't, don't, um, like, complain about a lot of things, um, but unless I think I can actually be, uh, like... Unless I think someone will actually read it, and it might actually help other people mm. to have a good experience, because I wanted it to like sound good, because I want to listen to it.
0: That's so great, and also like you're really, really helpful. You actually very patiently stepped me through the whole process of fixing it, because um, like I said, I never finished my four triple Z training. <laughs> I've actually done two lots of audio training. Um, at the edge in Queensland, and also at Four Triple Z, not much of it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I have a USB mic and not like a whole setup. This is why we are leaning into the same mic right now because mm. I'm just I just um, I would like to be more knowledgeable, but I, I've genuinely it, been too tired to learn a lot of this stuff. It takes a lot of cognitive effort. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting that you were a listener before you were eligible mm. to be on the show. So do you want to talk about that?
1: Um, sure. I uh, <clears throat> At some point, uh, well, in the last two years, uh, I found out that I have a form of muscular dystrophy called fascio humoral muscular dystrophy, type 1. <clears throat> type 1, to be precise. <laughs> uh, and um, I was like, hey, I have a chronic condition I didn't uh, know about. Um, uh uh, no, do you want do you want me to talk about like how I found out or?
0: Well, um, I guess so. It's just interesting that you would have been listening to all these conversations with people that have chronic conditions, thinking of yourself, I assume, as able-bodied. Yes. Um, and then finding out that you're actually joining us. Yes. How did, that's now most people have a real, it's a real identity crisis. And also, I mean, nobody really wants to find out they have muscular dystrophy. Mm. But I have a friend who's got muscular dystrophy and he seems to have known about it since childhood. So, how did you only find out now? Are you in your 30s when you found it?
1: Yeah, I guess we're in late late 20s. Yeah, late 20s. Well, there's about 30 different kinds of muscular dystrophy. Um, uh, Like, uh, I I also did not know anything about muscular dystrophy. (laughs) Um, like I thought one, uh, there's one, muscular dystrophy. Uh, no, they're, they're one of the more common ones that's often, uh, like, is diagnosed in childhood, because it's very obvious early on, is, I think, Duchesne's muscular dystrophy, right? Um, uh, which may be what your friend has, if mm, he's known maybe. about since he was a child. Um, FSHD is, it's normal, I was a bit of a late diagnosis even for that. It's normally diagnosed in the teens and early to mid-twenties. Um so the symptoms, uh, are it, it's a genetic condition. Uh, I'm going to get some of the science wrong, but basically a, an error in the genetic code means that a protein that's, I think it's the Dux4 protein, D-U-X-4, um, gets into your muscle tissue and it's toxic to muscle tissue. Um, and so that tissue slowly uh, dystrophies, is... A, I never know if dystrophies is a verb. Like atrophies is a verb. Yeah. You would think dystrophies. Well, would then
0: be. dystrophies must be. Dystrophies. It. Right? it
1: yeah. It, it breaks down over time. Um. Uh. And it's called fascio scapulo humeral because um, fascio face scapular the sh- scapular shoulders I think. Um. And humerus is that the leg thing?
0: I think it's legs.
1: Legs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, those are the bits it, it most commonly. Effects So people with FSHD often um, have uh, like drooping facial muscles. Mm. Um, uh, They have uh, winged shoulders. So your shoulder bones stick out very prominently due to muscle wastage. um, And also uh, have difficulty walking uh, because of wastage in leg muscles.
0: Now, I don't want to be flippant, but I'm going to be because I have no choice. It's who I am. Um, But... I, I mean, I'm wondering like, because you, you know, um, I'm just going to make some observations mm. now. So you, you're a tall skinny white guy, mm-hmm. um, in the indie music scene for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of wearing like, like you're wearing like the, the, you know, skinny jeans. Would you call these skinny jeans? They are today.
1: I brought skinny jeans to Melbourne cause it's cold and, um, and it's a good I, choice. I like layers.
0: No, no. Good choice. And also a good look but I'm just wondering if like sort of some of what you're describing like aside from the trouble walking is like like maybe not something you would notice as much in that kind of aesthetic world um like do you think that might be a part of why you relate diagnosis I mean like is you know I don't know if you were um trying to be like a clown in a circus maybe you would have noticed it sooner does that make sense
1: yeah it's funny you relate it to music because there's actually a music related thing that uh, contributed to me noticing something and getting oh, really? the diagnosis because uh, a couple of years ago um, I was playing a show with a band I'm in called We All Want to. and there was a photographer at the show and um, the photographer had taken a photo of me sort of side on when I was playing the bass and I'm uh, like I've, I've known for ages that I have you know a shitty posture um, but like my, my belly and my butt were like really way out. Um, and, right. and at the time I was like, ah, oh, I really should pay more attention to my posture, like try and stand up straight and all that. Um, turns out there's a reason my body doesn't do that normally. It's cause I have, have lordosis, which is the curved spine thing. Cause my ab- abdominal muscles are weak and, um, wasting away. And, um, as my physio observed last week, actually, when we, uh, she was trying to work on the new, um, uh, ab exercise for me to do, which is kind of a mini sit up. Um, uh, when I like activated my core, she was like, like I think my like my abdominal muscles don't contract the way most normal people's do, and she was like, that's weird. Like it's like your whole stomach gets sucked under your ribs when you do that. <laughs> um, uh, it's yeah. So uh, when some muscles fail, like. Other muscles that aren't supposed to do that job tend to take over and you adapt without noticing. So that's why I didn't really notice for a long time some things that in hindsight are clearly caused by muscular dystrophy. Um, another of the main, probably the single main thing that led me to go to a doctor at all was that part of my morning routine used to be um, uh, jogging on the spot in the in the bathroom because the... the the bathroom was the only place in the in the apartment I was living at the time that had, like, the rest of it, it was a second floor place, all wooden floors except for the bathroom, which was solid um, cement or something. And I didn't want to wake up the neighbours downstairs by jogging up and down on a wooden floor. So I go to the bathroom where there was no clomp 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 And at one point, uh, I noticed, like, when I looked down, my right foot just sort of landed funny. It landed different from the left. Um And you know, being a being a young man, like um, I I did not did not get that checked out for ages, and was um, (laughs) uh, very cavalier with uh, what turned out to be a very significant health problem. Um, uh, But yeah, I noticed it. I noticed like sometimes I would kind of drag my right foot a bit. I'd trip over things on that side. Uh, So eventually, I went to my GP. And uh, he, he had no idea what the problem might be, so he sent me to a physio. The physios had no idea what the problem might be. Um, but they, they also observed some very strange things happening in my upper back and around my shoulders. They noticed I had very pronounced shoulder blades. Um, they noticed a very severe weakness. Uh, I can't raise my arms above my head mm. um, from the shoulder. Like elbow's fine, but... Uh, I'm doing it now to demonstrate yeah. for Caitlin. It's, uh, uh,
0: it's quite impressive.
1: <laughs> it's the opposite of impressive. <laughs> and and that's something I've had since I was a teenager and I just never really thought much of it, I guess.
0: Well, I guess this is what I was trying to get at is like if you're, I mean, you're into music, you're sort of like leaning over a guitar or you're working at a desk because um, I know you sort of have like a, an office-y type day job. Um, and you know, like the pronounced shoulder blades thing. I mean, I remember seeing a lot of pronounced shoulder blades when I hung out in the Perth indie scene, lots of skinny jeans, lots of protruding bones. Um, I'm just wondering if like, maybe that can like, could have been why it just took, you know, if you're not living sort of this, um, athletic jock life, if I think that's what I'm trying to say, like, I'm trying not to offend you, (laughs) I'm trying not to say that you're Trying not to say that you're not athletic.
1: I can read between the lines, That's okay. <laughs>
0: but you know, I just feel like maybe, maybe um, having bad posture and that kind of thing is like, is not a no-no in those kind of worlds. Like in the shoe gaze world, for example, I feel like it would be much harder to spot muscular dystrophy. But I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, no, that's totally part of it. And I've never been an athletic person, even at school. Um, and uh, I guess I always thought, like, I always knew I was like skinny and weak, but I always thought if I ever put effort into it and started going to the gym and eating a bunch of protein that, you, you know, it was in the back of my mind, oh, I could change that, you know, one of these days I'll um, get a bit healthier or whatever. Turns out it wasn't entirely my fault. Like, yeah. Um, I, am, I am lazy and weak, but, uh, <laughs> but there are there are contributing factors.
0: <laughs> well, that's, a, that's interesting. I mean, I think that that can be part of, um, you know, maybe the grief of finding out you have a condition like this is that you lose that idea that one day I'll get into shape. And that's been hard for me as well. Like, um, coming to terms with having, you know, uh, a, a, an incurable neuro- neurological disorder is like, I always kind of had the same thing. I was like that skinny nerd. And in the back of my mind, I was always like, yeah, but if I really put effort into it, I, I could, I could be, you know, um, I could be, you know, have rock hard abs and all that kind of stuff or whatever. I could be one of those girls. Uh, And now it's like, no, no, no.
1: (laughs) Do you find that there's this kind of a relief about that though? That like, because you know, no matter how hard you try, you never can achieve that. Like there's no point in even (laughs) trying anymore.
0: To be honest, no. Since turning 30, I just feel fear. (laughs) 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 Like uh, I just... um, I, I don't know, maybe it's different because as a woman, it's like my value feels very tied to the size of my body. Um, and I, I've been gaining weight in the past year, which is good, but it just, the fear is that I won't be able to stop gaining weight. And, and well, we all know how it goes for women who gain weight. Um, you know, we're not supposed to take up that much space, or you know, et cetera, et cetera, the patriarchy. Um, so, yeah, I mainly just have a fear that I'm not going to be able to, um, control my body.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I have long-term fears, but they are, um, I guess they're more social kind of things, things I, I worry I won't be able to do. Um,
0: thanks for making me sound not
1: enlightened at all. Um, <laughs> oh, no. you're
0: like, Oh, I'm just really worried that I won't be able to experience the world. And I'm like, I'm worried I'll get fat. No. <laughs> I, I'm
1: worried I'll get fat too, like if I can't walk anymore. Um, and uh, I think one in five FSHD, um, what's the word, people with with a condition?
0: I mean, you know, you, c- you can decide for yourself, really.
1: Like sufferers doesn't seem like it's, it's a modern way of yeah. addressing it.
0: But, you know, people are very against the sort of anything that makes you sound like a victim. Yeah. But, I mean... Um, I, this is something i was actually just discussing with another disabled person the other day is like um yeah i have disability pride but if they came up with a cure for me tomorrow um i'd be taking it yeah so <laughs> it's kind of like yeah i mean yeah i do suffer a lot so i don't i feel like um for a chronic illness or like some sort of condition that is det- uh, deteriorating your body i think it's it should be kind of okay to be able to say yeah i am suffering from this But um, that might be unpopular.
1: Yeah, um, well, I'm just wondering, like, for among people for whom that kind of terminology is unpopular, what's the word for it? A person who has something, like a a, a patient? uh,
0: Sometimes I say patient um, just because I don't know a better word.
1: Because, like, there's there's nothing you can do about FSHD. It's not treatable yet. So I'm actually being treated.
0: So, So you're actually not a patient in a way. Yeah. Right. I mean, other than like probably going to the doctor for the normal stuff that people go for. Yeah. yeah. Um, But that doesn't make you identify as a patient. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that's a difficult one. I guess you're a person, because I'm going to have to know this when I write the blurb for this (laughs) episode. So, if we could work this out, that'd be great. But Hmm. I guess, you know, um, sometimes I just say, like, I might just say, muscular dystrophy, haver. Which yeah. is not the most elegant solution, but it's just the truth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, as, uh, yes, so one in five muscular dystrophy or FSH, one in five FSHD havers uh, mm-hmm. require the use of a wheelchair by the time they're like fifty or so, um, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, and we're
0: we're talking. You wouldn't be it wouldn't be able to manual because you wouldn't be pushing yourself. It would be like a power chair. I well,
1: it, it would depend because. It it affects people differently at different ages and also um, uh, asymmetrically. Oh, ah. uh, for example, like uh, my 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 right leg and my right foot and my right arm are much weaker than my left. Um, other people it affects their left and or it might affect like their right leg and their right arm or something like that. So, um, uh, and y- yeah, like I've I've noticed in in recent years uh, my. Foot hasn't. I have um, foot drop, which uh, is a a thing where you can't raise your foot more than one hundred and eighty degrees, so you can't lift your heel. Um, That means as you walk, you can't land on your heel, um, and it changes your gait drastically. Which is something that that those first lot of physios noticed um, that Mm. I hadn't really noticed. They're like, "Oh, you walk funny." I was like, (laughs) "Oh, when you put it that way, I sure do." where was I going with that? Uh, asymmetrically. Um, oh, wheelchair. Um, so, so it's possible that I may uh, that my legs may get so weak that I can't walk, but, but my arms might still be okay. That I could still be able to push it, for example. Um, so, it's it's impossible to say, and that's one of the most maddening things about FSHD specifically is I don't know how bad it is going to get, because mm. there are people out there who are much younger than me who have it much worse than I do. There are teenagers who are already, um, who already use wheelchairs. Mm. Um, conversely, uh, there are people much older than me who doesn't affect much at all. Uh, so you, you just don't know. And because I'm someone who likes to make long-term plans, that's, uh, hard and I'm kind of planning for a worst case scenario in yeah. terms of what I'm trying to do now.
0: Yeah, because you came to visit last year. Um, was it last year? Yeah, it's like a year ago. Oh, yeah. Um, Like uh, I remember it was cold then as well, <laughs> but it's also Melbourne, so it could have been any time. Um, and you did mention so you were only sort of you were still sort of I felt like you were maybe like still reeling from the diagnosis, and you were mentioning that you were trying to <clears throat> excuse me do as much travel as possible while you still could. And is that because you seem a lot better now, like? you just i mean the beard is gone, <laughs> the depression beard is gone, sorry, it was a lot.
1: <laughs> I decided not to grow the beard part of it this yeah
0: <laughs> but you know you you seem um calmer, i guess are you feeling better about things, or is it just having settled into the diagnosis
1: um yeah i've uh travel I actually put off travel for a year. I was going to go to New Zealand this year uh, because I always wanted to go back. Um, I went when I was a kid. I put that back by a year just because I got really busy with band stuff. And band stuff is another thing that uh, I want to do as much of as possible and make lots of things Um, because I think I I did a lot of recreation things like Sorry, that sounds like I was about to say recreational drugs, which <laughs> which I did not. like. In my, I mean, just sat around playing video games and being on the internet while I was at uni in my early 20s and uh, trying to figure out w- what I could do for a job. Um, and I don't want to say that time was wasted because I, I enjoy doing those things, but um, I have a feeling or it's likely there's going to be another point uh, in my life where that's, I'm going to have a lot more time to do that because I can't do other more active things. So yeah, I'm trying to get the active things, um, the making music. Um, and I mean, you could probably always make music in some way, but like being on stage with other people and being able to carry a guitar case, um, which is already getting harder, but, um, that's, that's stuff. I'm not sure if I'll still be able to do in 10 years. Um, uh, as to whether like this year, yes, I guess I'm, I guess I've been doing even more of that this year. I think I'm in like four bands at the moment. <laughs> um, that's something you should know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, like things are in various stages of activity. And, right. um <laughs> And that's part of it. Like I, I just, because I, I feel like if I slack off now, I would not be able to forgive myself later on if um, I'm less mobile. But then uh i guess it's you have to make sure it's still fun while you're doing it Mm, uh this year hasn't been that fun uh but i guess hopefully there'll be products at the end of it that make it worth it anyway Mm,
0: mm. yeah because you did mention that you're in like four bands you i knew you were in three but then when you got here today you mentioned that you just joined another one (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know how you have time to have a job, um, but you're actually here in Melbourne because you're touring um, with Harley Young and the Haymakers. So you're one of the Haymakers. Mm, yes. Um, so can you tell me a bit about Harley Young? Um, I've always been curious about this when there's like Florence and the machine, Harley Young and the Haymakers. Do you, the Haymakers, think of yourself as a separate band supporting Harley Young or is, are you all just, are you just, how does that work?
1: Well, it's it's a pretty unique one in this case because uh, Harley Young is this guy from from Sandgate in Brisbane, which is, I don't even want to call it a suburb of Brisbane because it's so unique. It's it's like its own town that is just within Brisbane. It's got (laughs) such its it's own identity. And like the first album, Flinders Parade, is a concept album about Sandgate made up of these.
0: Which, can I just say, (laughs) excites me to no (laughs) end.
1: It's like about all these characters Harley knew like growing up, and um all this amazing stuff, but um so Harley was this singer songwriter guy uh he uh he he put out a, a few solo EPs and he makes music with his wife Philippa. uh and then I met him years ago uh at his going away party. I met him through Jeremy Neal, I think uh, who was another brisbane musician uh, he's a mutual friend, and he was just about to move to. Quebec and he, um and like while he was in Quebec like I got to know his music and say, like oh this stuff's cool little did I know Harley was also getting to know my music a bit and like <gasps> oh my <laughs>
0: god you mutually fanned over each other
1: kind of well, I'm not sure what to our extent how this was with Harley um no 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 he was
0: fanning over you
1: we have established that <laughs> <laughs> but like he was uh, he was about to move back to Australia and he wanted to a band together to, to tour and he messaged me out of the blue hadn't talked to him in years and he was like hey mate how's it going like do you know any people who'd be interested in I'm trying to put a band together for this thing I've got this new song I've recorded uh, do you know anyone who'd be interested in doing a tour and I was like hmm I'd be interested in doing a tour with you <laughs> and at this point I had my own band called Go Go Fish um, this indie rock band and in the end, like the four of us in Go Go Fish, we just became Harley's backing band.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And so the first tour we did, and actually, subs, I think three tours we did as um, a joint Harley Young and the Haymakers Go Go Fish tour.
0: Wait, so how does that work? Do you like open as Go Go Fish and then Harley walks on and now you're the Haymakers?
1: Like the, we, we'd go off in the meantime and like I would take off a jacket or something to make it slightly different. <laughs> but like, yeah, we would have di- separate sets
0: Oh, it would have been great if you had wigs and the and like. You put on a pair of glasses, and now I'm in the haymakers. That would have been great.
1: <laughs> one time at a Harley gig, uh, we um, uh, he was he was on stage, and we um, we surprised him with double denim. <laughs> like we all wore jeans to this show, like not with denim jackets. And then uh, he was out the front singing, sing, 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 Harley, Harley, Harley. And then he turned around at one point, and we were just all wearing denim jackets we'd thrown <laughs> on. Just to free. It took him like two or three songs to notice. It was great.
0: Was that kind of like a passive aggressive? Let's see how much tension the star pays to us, the people who make him look good.
1: Something like that. I'm sure it was some in joke that was hilarious at the time. That's. We have so many in jokes in that band.
0: Oh, that sounds really fun.
1: Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's one of the bands I'm in. I play guitar for Harley, and Harley lives in Melbourne now and we've just um, just been finishing up the second album that was recorded in Brisbane. Um, uh, I think it's going to be called Big Songs for... No, Little... No. It's either Big Songs for Little People or Little Songs for Big People. I can't remember which one. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, we got a second album that should be coming out at some point.
0: Cool. Um, why are you in so many bands?
1: Um, because um, I, um uh, it's it is my entire social identity is being in bands and i'm terrified that if uh, i stop doing it i'll hate myself in 10 years if i'm not able to do it again
0: well that's okay yeah that's fair
1: (laughs) playing music is also fun i guess uh it's uh creative and you know the all the other regular responses (laughs) to that for my specific ones are I guess
0: Wow okay actually that's interesting. I wonder if as a longtime listener of the show, are you self-censoring now because you're like, oh that's what other guests have said or are you just you're just like
1: no, it's actually well um, I haven't listened to JaSP for a while because there haven't been new episodes. How dare you? There have not been <laughs> new episodes for a while, Caitlin <laughs> <laughs> Once again, how dare you? <laughs> um, no I, 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 I've been sick. <laughs> I, I had forgotten that. Was, was that a recurring theme?
0: I don't know. It's just that I have so many creative people on the show. Um, I was wondering if that was like holding you back. But I also was going to say that you saying that music is your whole social identity means that it's almo- It's even more impressive that w- that we're friends, <laughs> like that we know each other. Oh, yeah, I guess <laughs>
1: so. Um, well, that's that's the community radio thing.
0: Well, it's still through music, I guess. Yeah. yeah. No, because I've gotten to guest on your Triple Z show. Mm-hmm. But also I think I got to guest host it once. I think yeah. you and Josh were both busy. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I panelled.
1: Woo! That was fun. Did you interview anyone that week?
0: I think so. Oh, I think so. That might have been when I interviewed that band and I'd never heard of them and I didn't know anything about them. And also the people that I had like the lead singer didn't show up, so I just had like two band members that I hadn't prepped for on my questions for, for the lead singer. Um, we muddled through. They were very nice, but I was very clearly out of my depth. <laughs> Good times.
1: You got the you got the Chris from Muse.
0: Oh god, fucking Chris! It's Wait, a crossover did, episode. Did we talk about that in this episode? No,
1: you got to listen to the episode of Give Me Empathy with Caitlin to get that reference.
0: The second episode with Caitlin on Give yeah. Me Give Me Empathy because I'm on it twice. <laughs> That's right. I'm a recurring regular. Um, Yeah, no, Scott has a really great conversation podcast called Gimme Empathy, which is what we're doing a crossover episode with today. So we just recorded an episode of his podcast with me as the guest, and now we're recording Just a Spoonful with Scott as the guest, Um, which means that I'm not going to have a voice by the end of this day. (laughs) Because whenever we've done this, this is the second time we've done this, except for the last time I was meant to record an episode, and then I just didn't because I... Um, I just did dummy spit and was like, I'm not doing anything. (laughs) Uh, I'm not doing anything for this podcast because I'm tired. It wasn't anything about jazz, but I was just tired. Um, yeah, but I always end up talking way too much, um, because you're a really good interviewer and you ask really good questions. And then I'm always like, Ooh, let's go on all these tangents. Um, that was something I was going to bring up is that you're, you're pretty much my favorite interviewer, like out of anyone.
1: Like, you're just saying that because I'm here. I can't yes. literally be, like, I can't... I am
0: just saying that because you're here. If Andrew Denton was here... No, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding.
1: <laughs> like, you must have had, you know, Terry Gross or, you know... Um,
0: I mean, I think you're better than Terry. <laughs> there, I said it. <laughs>
1: the, the thing about interviewing is you, you just stop saying things. And it's amazing how people just go on and on and on. And the beauty of doing it in podcasting, which is pre-recorded, is if they're going on and on comes to an awkward end you can edit it out at the bit before that it's more difficult on radio you do have to cut in more but Mm -hmm. um yeah like listening it sounds trite but listening really is the most important part of interviewing i think um and but it's
0: important, it's important to point out that you, what you're doing is active listening and yeah. that's what, that's what, that's where the skill is. Cause you interviewed me on your radio show on four triple Z back when I was touring my show, not much to tell you. And so I had been doing a lot of interviews for that show and, you know, I would get some of the same old questions that were clearly like, you know, they had read the press release and not really gone much deeper and that's fine. That's totally fine. I am usually that person. Um, and then when I went into your show, you asked me all these really deep, really incredible open questions, and next thing I knew, I was just like pouring my heart out, and I came away from it feeling so rejuvenated. It's like therapy.
1: Oh wow, <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, I um, at the time like I thought it went uh, really well. I guess because I, um, I, I'm like I'm, I'm like a hipster snob of interviewers. I don't want to ask obvious questions. They they if it's in the press release, it's like I already know it i have difficulty it's it's actually most difficult interviewing uh people you know specifically your friends when you know the answers to questions Mm. because it's not when you want to elicit a response when you want to hear a story it's you, you getting that out of them artificially is it feels bad somehow
0: yeah well i mean i think that can be a problem with interviewing is when you can tell that the interviewer is just trying to get the sound bite, even if they don't actually know the, the, uh, person being interviewed. Um, actually because you're so, you're, you're so such like a strong community radio supporter, I guess, person. Um, what do you like? I've been there a while. You've been there a while, but like, you're also really good at it. But, um, I guess I'm curious. Are you just, did just describe yourself as a hipster snob, um, which not my words, but, um, I mean, what do you, where do you draw your interviewing inspiration from? Who's your Terry Gross? And, and do you see a difference between what happens on community radio and what happens maybe on say commercial radio?
1: I haven't listened to commercial radio for so long. <laughs> I would have no idea. um,
0: such a snob no
1: actually um i I, it's at the point where you know when you you don't consume a part of like really mainstream popular culture for so long and then when you get thrown back into it it's it's just bizarre to you yeah
0: yeah like
1: if um like you don't have a tv right no so like have you ever been at someone else's place or just seen a a tv like on in a shop or something and you watch a commercial how bizarre are they you, they interrupt your thing like three times in a half an hour and show you all these bright flashing images with people shouting at you and like pandering, the pandering to demographics is, I find, you find so insulting when, yeah. when you're not exposed to it in a, like, if you just stream stuff or whatever, it...
0: This is actually sometimes like so I I do my laundry at a coin laundry and there's a TV on in there and you can't change the channel and it's usually set to channel 7 which everyone knows is the trashiest channel. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just sometimes like I just have to tweet while I'm what cuz I'll just be like I remember tweeting like like a few months ago something about commercial TV. I was like, "Have you guys seen this thing?" <laughs> because I was just amazed. I think I was watching um the news. Yeah. And I'm not, I usually get my news um, from out-of-context tweets on Twitter and then I have to go and do a Google to figure out what they mean and that's how I get my news. Um, but uh, Or I read articles, you know, but like... Uh, I, and I was watching some reality TV, but not like the good reality TV that people get obsessed with and have cults around, like yeah. RuPaul or yeah. something. This was... its You're watching it because it's on... Like
1: Divorce Island or whatever, oh.
0: <laughs> oh my God, but I would watch Divorce <laughs> Island. I hope that's real. Um, yeah, and I, w- I just couldn't believe it. I was like, have you guys seen this thing? This is incredible. I was watching, um, oh, that's what it was, is I was watching something along the, I think it was A Current Affair or that kind of show, um, some some version of that, and there was a quote-unquote journalist um, chasing a man up his own driveway and like yelling at the back of his head, Holding her mic forward, obviously, but like she was also. This was a great part of it, like from a comedic perspective, is that she was, um, she was like half running, but she was in heels, so she was clopping so good. And and she was also, so she's clopping and she's yelling at the back of this guy's head, Tell us about the fish tank. And (laughs) and I was like, Wow, this is the greatest content! I can't believe this is free um yeah no amazing um if I like I listen to commercial radio if like the uber driver has it on Mm. and I'll just be like I actually said to an uber driver recently because you know they probably listen to a lot more radio than I do when I used to drive for a living um I I listened to like a lot of commercial radio and um but I hadn't in a long time and I said to the uber driver I was like is because it was just like three you know how it is it's like um Devo and what did they say on Parks of Rec it's like something and the douche like you know yeah. and then there's like a woman who's called something like you know Katie or uh, Milo who knows and um I'm not pu- I'm not putting them down it's a whole art form in itself but that's the amazing thing is that like I was listening to it and it was just like them giggling about like a word and that was five minutes and I was like, I'd forgotten, by the way, I hadn't been on radio for so long. I ha- had forgotten how much you do have to pad sometimes. Mm. So, I mean, all respect to those people. Breakfast radio is hard. But it's just its own world. It and is. it's yeah. incredible.
1: It is, yeah. So, yeah, I had to, um, I didn't have to. I, I chose to uh, do some research by listening to commercial radio because last year I did a phone interview with Dave Hughes. Um, before, he, before he um, came out. He was, he was performing at the Brisbane Comedy Festival. So, When um, you said
0: before he came out, I was like, what have I missed? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's next year's show. Uh, <laughs> uh, v- v- so I chose to listen to his drive-time radio show um, that he does with, is it Kate Langbrook? Is that his co-host?
0: Look, I don't know.
1: <laughs> is it
0: Osher Ginsberg? I don't know.
1: <laughs> you know Osher like, Ginsberg.
0: Yeah, he's my close personal friend. <laughs> <laughs> i oh, sure, i love you um no there's like five people though that just seem to rotate through breakfast radio oh yeah like five comedians yeah so um yeah no they're all great mm. um i want to work with you um if you're listening i <laughs> <laughs> would like to work in breakfast radio please and thank you <laughs> <laughs> do you know how rich they get from that oh very rich very yeah. rich
1: <laughs> but so yeah i did actually listen to Hughie, um his research <laughs> and then uh that was kind of a surreal day because I interviewed him on the day I moved house um, cause that was just w- when his his schedule fit so like in the morning like I finished packing everything up from like this house I'd shared with my ex for three years and then like um, moved over to my new uh little l shaped sad fl- one person sad <laughs> flat uh, and then like so all my stuff was in boxes spread throughout um this little flat, all the furniture uh b- but i didn't have time like that the, the movie was just like just um left i didn't have time to do anything didn't have time to like even eat lunch and i was starving i had to call dave hughes and talk to him about his um his comedy show um but but he he, he was nice enough he seemed kind of confused why i was interviewing him because like i was like hey it's scott from four triple z and he was like oh yeah yeah and at the end he he said something he said um um Oh, well, yeah, thanks, the, thanks for taking an interest. <laughs> like, what? like, I think he knew,
0: like. The guy's kn- so humble.
1: <laughs> well, I think he knows what Forgeable Z is, and he doesn't. Ex- he knows. Da- oh. Like, Dave Hughes knows he yeah. is the mainstreamest white bread person there is. Yeah. He's, he's done very well for himself, but he, he knows what he does. Um, and I think he was just kind of surprised our little punk rock radio station wanted to talk to him. But um, I am – but little did he know, it was just part of my master plan because I've now interviewed uh, – I'm, I'm pl- I have these collections of people I interview and I want to catch them all. So there's two <laughs> – I'm um, two-thirds of the way through. I'm two-thirds of the way through the hosts of The Glass House.
0: <gasps> wait, wait that mean you're missing will anderson
1: i'm missing corinne grant i've interviewed will anderson
0: because i was gonna freak out if you've interviewed corinne grant
1: i know the thing is <laughs> she's not doing comedy anymore she went yeah. back to you to be a lawyer to for like a human rights she's amazing rights. i know yeah. i really want to talk to her um
0: yeah. oh can i tell you something real quick mm. so i was a big fan of rove this is like before it was on channel 10 oh like yeah back in the day mm. and this is boy yeah perth boy but like i was sorry when i say rove i mean the show Yep. Like, I was a fan of Rove, but, like, I was, it was really the show I was into. And I was really into Corrine Grant. And um, back then, they had so such a small audience that they actually would interact with you one-on-one. Uh, on e- but if you emailed them, they would email back. So, wow. for a while, I, I genuinely had uh, pri- private in-jokes with Corrine Grant via oh. email. <laughs> I mean, I, I assume it was her and not an intern. But, yeah, that was really cool.
1: You should totally <laughs> reconnect. I think she's in Melbourne.
0: Oh really I keep forgetting that I live in Melbourne.
1: I know and everyone is here. That's the thing about living in Brisbane. like nobody lives in Brisbane and you forget that like when you're in Sydney or Melbourne, like all the famous Australian people are actually in this town. you can see them walking around and yeah go to their place and interview them and stuff.
0: That's like I, I, I realized that like uh, I think it was last year when I was having pizza, the place my one of my favorite places down on the corner. And uh, while I was eating, Tom Gleason just walked by me, yeah, and because um I'm not used to seeing famous people, I thought that I'd recognized him because he was someone I knew, so I did that thing where you look as if you're like you sort of put your chin up and you're like trying to catch their eye. But then, as he looked, I realized oh that's that's Tom Gleason from the TV. And so he gave me a very Tom Gleason glare, <laughs> and then just kept walking. Right. He had this—he gave me a very strong look that, without words, said stalker. <laughs> and I was like, "I'm not stalking you. I'm sorry. Bye. um You went
1: at the airport waiting for him.
0: I want look for, for once. I'll, I'm gonna say, look, Tom Gleason, great guy. But I, uh, I'm not gonna go waiting at airports. <laughs>
1: You also have to uh, listen to Give Me Empathy to find out which celebrities Caitlin did wait at the airport for. (laughs) Oh, my God. The answers may shock you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, listen to Give Me Empathy for all of my shame. Um, (laughs) Please give me empathy. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's like a weird thing about Melbourne. But something that I learned while I was living in Brisbane and doing community radio is that so many people that we know from com- commercial radio sort of got their start in Brisbane?
1: Oh yeah, and even at Four Triple Z, some pe- some cases. Well, a lot of Triple J people get poached. You know, yeah. um, Maggie Collins was our former um, music department uh, head. Um, uh, Sarah McVee, who I think is now does Hack, used to be at Four Triple Z. She was in the newsroom. She's she's she has an awesome. Um, short podcast series actually called how do you sleep at night and she goes around interviewing like people who do controversial things so she talks to like uh, these big game hunters who've like killed elephants and shit in africa Um, she talks to uh, uh, a a, a killer who is who who does the locked in show at triple z in the 90s he killed two people Um,
0: sorry if you're not familiar with locked in um, i I actually got to Co- guest co-hosts that show once um, for Triple Z. Can you quickly explain it?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so Locked In is uh, the sh- a show specifically um, broadcast for prisoners who are currently mm. incarcerated uh, and it's entirely a request uh, show. They, so the prisoners send in requests almost exclusively for very explicit gangster rap. <laughs> Uh, and the occasional R and B ballad for their sweethearts.
0: I remember there being some metal. There was some metal.
1: Sometimes some metal and yeah. hardcore punk and stuff. Yeah, and they also and they read out letters like um, from inmates, which are usually yeah. two other inmates, and like the whole thing, like it's um, extremely explicit content, and they they're they're right on top of their content warnings constantly because mm, the yeah. the messages are always. Uh, oh this is um uh, skinny Louie over in 6a don't let the screws get you down f those c's in the blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Uh, and often they they have um uh, ex-prisoners who host a show as well
0: yeah that was what I, I really liked about it is that it was like by ex-prisoners for prisoners but also when i was um so i think i was guest guesting guest co-hosting or i think i was like a lot of the time I think people who are doing their training will go and learn how to panel yeah on panel for them. In. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so I think it, it works really well because you have to do a lot of content warning so you get good at that. but also I mean you got to learn how to pull up a song really quickly because it's a request show. Mm. but the um, messages being read out, it was such a beautiful community. Like, it was a real sense of community there and um, in that show specifically and it has a big following and it's anyway, I just want to talk about locked in for a sec because it's so cool and you know how like a lot of work is like, there's a lot of people trying to humanize, you know, people who are in prison and like something like locked in, which is sort of for us, bias kind of, kind of ethic. So good. So good. I loved the messages. They, they really like, some of them were just so gross. <laughs> like literally it would be like a guy telling his girlfriend, what he want to do to her later? Like yeah. it was so gross. Yeah. I loved it.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure like, yeah, where else in the world does that yeah. kind of thing.
0: But, like, yeah, so 4 triple Z is, like, this amazing, like, underrated incubator uh, for talent, especially. Uh, and also a lot of talented people stay. I mean, obviously, like you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't know how so many big-name comedians that are out there now came came up through Brisbane.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I had Alex Ward on the show, um, I think, last year. Uh, she's now living in Melbourne. She's an amazing comedian. Um uh, Anne Edmonds, oh, uh, yeah. Becky Lucas, who've all left Brisbane to do better things in comedy.
0: <laughs> but don't you... don't I mean, you're still in Brisbane, so don't you think Brisbane's the best? I mean, Brisbane's great. I know I left, but it's mainly because my body couldn't take the humidity. Like, I was living against my will in a way. Um, Melbourne's great, just want to say. But, like, I miss Brisbane so much. It's so underrated. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's
1: pretty good, I guess. I've got... <laughs> spoken to someone still living there (laughs) I've lived there my whole life I you know 31 I would like to live somewhere else at some stage I may be running out of time to do that um but it gets back to that fear thing again like my entire and and the more life you live there the more stuff accumulates and the harder it is Mm. to leave like if I move to Melbourne I'm not even going to talk about Sydney because no why would you move to Sydney um it, it
0: yes um if any of my Sydney friends are listening why? Why would you live there?
1: It's the city that hates young people. Like, it's a bad city. <laughs> um, anyway,
0: shout out to our Sydney listeners.
1: <laughs> like I, I would love to live in Melbourne someday, but it would be. I think maybe there's a threshold of when enough of your Brisbane friends move to Melbourne, it's not that big a deal.
0: <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. That's such a Perth thing because I'm from Perth yeah. originally, and um, yeah, there was like a like I tried moving to Melbourne like, five or six years ago, but I didn't know enough people here. And, like, I'm not saying this is what affected my decision, but then, like, when I moved again two years ago, um, there had ma- reached a critical mass of, like, Perth people and Brisbane people that I knew had moved to Melbourne. Yeah, And it was such a smoother transition. It was really easy.
1: It's like Australia's Valhalla. Like, it's where <laughs> everyone – it's the eternal battle everyone goes to when, when they, their real lives stop
0: Oh, God, that's beautiful. Melbourne, the eternal battle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so true. Because it's, it's not heaven. It's not paradise. Oh, no, you still have to not. keep fighting to do whatever your thing, whatever that is.
0: That's the most perfect description of Melbourne I've ever heard. I'm just, my mind is blown. <laughs> because it is, it's so, a friend of mine, just um, a, a, an online friend of mine I was just talking to last night, just moved here from Perth. And Perth, I I was just, I just spent a few days in Perth at last week. Perth is just moves on a different pace. And, and I missed that. It was really nice being back and like, it was slow. And, um, I just felt like there was no pressure to do anything, go anywhere. And then you come back to Melbourne and it's like, um, it's like when I lived in Perth and Brisbane, I would try if I would try to go to every single one of my friends events because if you were doing that, you could go to maybe one or two events a week. like Or, like, you know, um, it was doable. But now in Melbourne, I can't. I can't do it. I can't yeah. go to every person's thing. And my friends don't even tell me about all the things they're in um, because they're doing so much. Yeah. And so it's a whole different... You have to really shift your, your gear and, like, and not think... Like, the FOMO is real. you got to just switch off a little bit.
1: It's like the... the the state of television at the moment it used to be you could watch all the good shows on television yeah because there were only channels to watch them on yeah. now like netflix make what 900 series a, a a year or something ridiculous is that real it's it's in the hundreds they make hundreds of television shows every okay, year yeah
0: that explains why some of them are so terrible
1: yeah <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. Why?
0: Okay, why do they keep um, investing in Marlon Wayans so much?
1: Do they? Does he have shows?
0: He has multiple shows.
1: I don't see. It's, it's, it's they're not good. There's such a glut. <laughs> that's the point. Like you can't, you can't consume it all. Even the the cream, you cannot consume it all. There are yeah. heaps of prestige shows. I just have no time for because I haven't finished watching the last one. That's still <laughs> running after seven seasons. Like.
0: Yeah, and I can't watch them because I'm rewatching Friends again. (laughs) That's an important part of my the structure of my life. No, Um, yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, just for our American listeners too, um, all three of you, um, we only have like four channels in Australia. Or like, there's a few more now, but growing up, there were there was three commercial channels, and then there was ABC and SBS, which are. hopefully will continue to be uh, funded by the government. Um, They're constantly, we have a conservative government right now, so they're obviously uh, in jeopardy. Um, But yeah, so, you know, it it was like, and of course lots of ABC is just BBC content or it used to be. Mm. Now they're really, they're really investing in original comedy and they have for a long time. It's great. But yeah, it was like, um, there would just be whole parts of the day where all it was on was home shopping shows um, and mash. Yep. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Whereas when I used to go visit my cousins in, in America, they'd have dozens of channels. And this was even before prestige television days.
1: Uh, I, I went to America on a, it was like a school exchange thing when I was 16 or 17, 16. Um, and just that thing of seeing stuff live, like for the first time it's being broadcast, was yeah. such a big deal for me. I remember one time, um, We were uh, – it was, like, there were three guys on the tour, so we always, you know, shared a room. Um, And we were staying in this, like, dodgy motel in Anaheim. And the other two guys went out and were, like, in the pool with, like, um, all the the girls from, like, country northern New South Wales, like, hitting on them and stuff. And I I was in the hotel room because Angel was on. And it was the first time I'd seen an episode of Angel, like – as everyone else was seeing it for the first time, and not six weeks later like we did in Australia.
0: I'm sorry, I'm in pain because... <laughs> That's so pure and so beautiful.
1: It was a really good episode. It was the like one in season five where Harmony, it's all about Harmony and her job okay. at Wolfram and Hart.
0: Never watched Angel. Oh. Not a Buffy fan.
1: Huh. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> no, there's no point now.
0: Well, that's the thing. I was too late. I missed it. I was really into Stargate. I was really invested in Stargate, mm. and I missed the whole Buffy thing.
1: Yeah. I mean.
0: Al- also, I had a, um, a, I had not much spare time because I was working on my Queer Eye for the Straight Guy fan website, <laughs> um, that I used to work on. Uh, and now Queer Eye's back, and I feel really smug because mm. I'm like, I knew, I knew it was great.
1: Are they going to do that thing like they do in movies where they get the old cast back in, like, a new role? Are they going to get, like, Carson and <gasps> Jai and the Oh, other my three. God. I love Jai. He was Kyan. cute. Kyan. Kyan, yeah.
0: Um, Ted. Mm. Ted's still going. Yeah? He does, like, cooking shows, I think.
1: Carson's still going. He seemed to have had the most visible career after Yeah. Eye, I think. Surprising
0: he... no one. Yeah. He's got charisma coming out of his butt. Oh, sure. They they <laughs>
1: set him up as the, the breakout star.
0: I remember hearing, like, because I was, I was used to be... <laughs> queer eye fan archivist um i remember in an interview that he's talked about his audition and that he just walked into the room waiting room with all the other people waiting to audition for the same role and he just went you might as well leave
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome
0: and i love those stories but i always try to remind myself when i hear that sort of thing that like there were probably like seven other guys thinking the same thing like (laughs) thinking i've got this in the bag but like it just so happened that Carson did get it, um, <laughs> but I thought that was amazing that he was like that confident and he was correct. Um, yeah, no, he did one of my favorite, very like no one else has seen it shows, reality shows, which was only on for a few seasons, called um, True Beauty. Did you ever watch that?
1: No. Oh my god, it
0: was amazing. It was set in Las Vegas, and what they would do is they would find <laughs> they would find these narcissistic hotties. <laughs> And then they would tell them that it was. They would tell them um, that they would tell them the name of the show was something like um, the most beauty or like whatever. It was all about like you know being beautiful. But what it really was was they were secretly filming them to see who had the most inner beauty.
1: Oh yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> so they would set up like moral tests for them. The one I remember the clearest because I was so outraged at it. Um, most of them were okay, but this one was really bad. Um, is they made so they, they told them they told all the participants that they were walking from one set to another for like a fo- for like a photo shoot to decide who was the prettiest. But on the way, they were gonna pass an actor posing as a pregnant woman smoking, and anyone who just walked past her without commenting on her life choices would lose a point. Oh. So they had to tell the pregnant woman. What to do with her body to win that ra- that round? So that's a bad example of the show, but that shows you how bonkers it was.
1: I just I just want to get a job where your whole thing is to because there's a, a particular subgenre of reality show where they lie to their contestants about what the show is. Yeah. I just want to come up with bonkers ideas for that <laughs> all day. You know, the secret billionaire who's not really a billionaire. Oh, uh, or that thing.
0: that uh, I want to marry Harry thing that was terrible I mean why (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Um. just before we finish up I don't think we ever actually got to hear who your Terry
1: Gross is oh that's right yeah um well I I have a job where I'm really lucky that I get to listen to podcasts all day while I work so that's like uh, you know, subtracting lunch breaks, and when I have to take my earbuds out to talk to people and go to the bathroom. That's probably like six hours of podcasts every every workday. Um, so <laughs> uh, wow! Which is, a, and you know, that that may be why I'm still in a relatively low-paying job, but just because of that benefit. Like that is mm-hmm. that is a non. Um, non-insignificant part of why I'm still there (laughs) also the flexibility um it's given me because I um I went down from full time to four days a week to four days a week which has been really good which is how I do so much stuff I think just having three days for a weekend instead of Mm. two makes the biggest difference I think Um, do you
0: find that it's like then you've got the first day you're doing laundry and cleaning then the second day you're relaxing the third day you can actually do stuff That's what I hear people say.
1: Yeah, something like that, yeah. Mm. Uh, Yeah, roughly, yeah. Um, Every
0: day is my weekend, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: uh, So, yeah, I I listen to lots of podcasts, and obviously starting a podcast, you do that because you listen to podcasts and you like them. I think I take bits and pieces from lots of different ones, um, from, uh, like, really basic technical stuff like conventions of having a theme song or something and asking the same question every time like um mm. uh like well, well i think that sometimes i play with doing things like having topics and this lucky dip uh wait that was explaining on sometimes i, I yeah. pl- sometimes i play with conven- <laughs> Crossover <episode. laughs> Sometimes I play with conventions like having guests pre-pick some topics they want to talk about, and sometimes we do like a lucky dip thing where they don't know which one exactly they're talking about. But th- the one thing I always do in every episode is I ask them how they know me at the start of it. Mm. Um, and just having like one thing like that, uh, like um, Will Anderson's podcast, Philosophy. he asks every guest um, who they are at the start. But he asks it not, what is your name? He makes He leaves it very open. He says, who are you? And the way people answer that differently is very interesting and very telling. Like some people will just say their name. Uh, some people will say what their job is. Some people will say, you know, their family relationships. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a father. Um, some people will give the whole CV. And that's that's like a, an interesting thing. I, I, mm. I, I think it's really interesting having generic questions sometimes that you ask everybody. Mm. Um, it's uh, almost like
0: a Rorschach rorschach test yeah the ink blots yeah totally yeah, yeah yeah
1: um i'm not sure if i had my own terry gross in like one interviewer uh, admire uh, above all else i think also there's there's bits about lots of podcasts i don't like that i just mm. try and do the opposite of even if it's a podcast i like in general yeah. um uh there'll be something you know like will anderson talks about himself too much like I don't talk about myself that much on my podcast. Um, stuff like that. Uh, who else has been good? Erin um, um podcasts, um, probably, um, what's it called? Uh, this Feels Terrible, which is a relationships podcast, is really good, but it's just a conversational type thing. I, I like podcasts that have a theme, but they go wildly off track from that. and yeah, just becomes yeah. a conversation. I think that's my favorite genre of podcast um you know marin obviously i think everyone is somewhat influenced by Mm -hmm. him he's got his problems his issues he's not the best in some ways um but he's he's made like 900 episodes of the the most successful podcast ever like i don't think you can not be influenced by him well, it's
0: funny you say that because I didn't think I was influenced by him because I'm not actually a Mark Maron fan. Mm. Like I have listened to WTF, but I didn't. It didn't capture my um, imagination. Mm. Um, and but then I was <laughs> name drop, talking to Osher Ginsburg last year at a conference, and I I said to Osher like like hit the format of his uh, podcast really uh, of Osher's podcast really influenced the format of this podcast. And he said, Oh, I stole it from Mark Marin
1: and I was like, damn it <laughs> That's the thing. You go back it leads back to Marin. It so, does. Yeah. All
0: roads lead back to Marin. Yeah. Apparently.
1: I really liked um Osha's episode on Willosophy actually. That was a really good one. Ooh,
0: I'll have to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't been listening to podcasts enough. Um, I, I think um, something that I do when I'm really stressed is go back to safe content and just rewatch, re listen, rewatch, re-listen. Yeah. So I don't tend to listen to new stuff. Do you have something like that that you do that helps you get through the like rough times? You go back to one song, one album.
1: Hmm. Not a lot because part part of this thing I have with not wanting to waste any time in my life is I'm like I don't go back to stuff maybe as much as I should. Even with this stuff I really like because um, like I'm constantly listening to new podcasts and new music because um, I, I feel like I'm behind like i need to catch up with all the bands i don't know about all the tv shows i haven't watched so to go back and watch something i've already watched um it, it's it's i don't want to say it's a way it's it's not a waste of time but it feels like that when i'm doing it it feels like wasted time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh and yeah that's another fear-based thing and i think uh like i didn't get into quote-unquote cruel music until i was in my late teens you know all these people who say they're into the Velvet Underground at thirteen, like fuck off. I like, think they're lying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but but and because you compare your own <laughs> knowledge to not just the knowledge of one person you're talking to, but everyone you talk to. So yeah. if they reference something I don't know about, like that, gives me a little twinge of, oh, I've I, I've done something wrong. I wasn't listening to the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm constantly listening to new stuff. Um, so yeah, I like. I don't really have like albums I put on when I need cheering up or that, but th- th- there will there will be things on my current playlist because I tend to listen to a playlist of about seven to nine albums at a time for like a month or so mm. until I'm really familiar with them and then move on to new stuff th- there There will tend to be stuff um in any given playlist that uh is particularly helpful at a time and but we were talking a bit on music we were talking a bit about music on give me empathy episode we did and uh and like how it um how it's it's Im- it's your relationship to it is very much tied into what's going on in your life mm-hmm. and yeah. this year like i've struggled to find albums i kind of am really connecting with much both new and old stuff whereas last year um, like when I did my top 10 albums of the year for our triple Z thing we do every year for our announcers list, I've struggled with the top five so much cause I was just so emotionally involved in all these albums cause last year was very t- turbulent for me. Um, and like with, uh, yeah, being diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, had a long-term relationship breakup, uh, moved house. Uh, those were the three main things I guess and yeah it was just super invested in all these really emotional albums like Lord Melodrama um, Jen Close self-titled album Holly Throsby came out with a new album um and uh, oh, Waxahatchee, you, do you know Waxahatchee? I've heard of Waxahatchee. Oh God, the album, it's...
0: Actually, I think I've heard of Waxahatchee from you. <laughs> oh, probably. I'm, no, I've got to listen to them. I'm it. an
1: evangelist for them. Yeah, like it just, all these big emotional, not all those are breakup albums, but some of them are. And like, they, like I could not get enough of them. No, um, I
0: remember you were the one that pointed out to me that Melodrama is a breakup album. Because I, I haven't mm. been through a breakup in quite a while. It just didn't occur to me.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I
0: wasn't in that headspace. I just thought, oh, this is about being 19. And then you pointed out, I was like, oh, it is a breakup album. Have you... It's a 19-year-old breakup album.
1: Have you heard <laughs> this conspiracy theory thing that it's not a breakup album by Lord? that it's a confession that she was having an affair with Jack Antonoff? <gasps>
0: Oh my... Because I know that there's a thing online that people are sure that Lauren and Jack Antonoff are a thing.
1: Yeah. So there's this thing. I found it Whoa. from an article on the AV Club. There was a... Oh, um, it was on
0: the AV Club. So it wasn't like...
1: Well, it was, there was one person's research. So this one okay. um, person on Twitter did all this research and put together this unbelievable like, PowerPoint presentation. And, Amazing. And put it on her Twitter. And it got picked up because it's just... It, uh, it, it an unimaginable web of conspiracies um, <laughs> that, that brings in, like, so the, the, the idea that, like, it goes through all Lord's lyrics. There's, like, timelines and interview excerpts that, like, wow. allegedly prove that while Lord was recording the album Melodrama, while, you know, living in Jack Antonoff and Leon Dunham's apartment, she was secretly having an affair with Jack Antonoff, and that the album is a confession of that.
0: Whoa! I don't want it to be true because he is way too old for her, <laughs> and also that's not cool. Um, but whoa, what a great conspiracy theory! I know, and the way <laughs> it's
1: put together is so entertaining. Like it's partly really over the top, obsessive, but also self-aware and funny. Yeah,
0: because her her the the album uh, the concert was like putting up the word melodrama in neon lights and stuff, and it was you know her dancing and funny out. Not yeah. funny outfits, but you know what I mean? Like, um, it was very, it was like, yeah, very self conscious. Um, you know, even the lyrics, we told you this is melodrama. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know, uh, there's a whole part of the Swifty, because we were talking about fandom in the Gimme Empathy episode. There's a whole, um, like, subgenre of Swifty um, called Kalers. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. Um, these are people that are convinced that Carly Kloss and Taylor Swift both were in a relationship together a romantic relationship but also still secretly are
1: Who's the who's Carly Carly
0: Kloss is a Victoria's Secret model Oh okay um and she she was in like in the at peak 1989 era she was in the squad like Taylor Swift's squad Right so they would ha- they they did a um cover shoot together and they were best friends all like all over the media right. and um but like you know they were also they're very um touchy-feely friends Um, so they would always be like holding hands and like putting their arms around each other and also they're both beautiful and it would be amazing if they were together (laughs) Um, and all of us um, uh, queer fans of things are always trying to read I'm I'm always trying I'm trying to read bisexuality into everything Mm. (laughs) like and anyway it's like a really it's a really fun theory because it's more fun to think that they were because they seem more dynamic together, and then you would see Calvin Harris and Taylor Swift together, and they just didn't look like an interesting couple.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's funny when you hear like a theory like that um, that that someone's managed to tie together really well, and then you go back and look at like I don't know if I believe the, the Lord theory. Yeah. But reading some bits and excerpts and th- thinking about some of the lyrics again, it's like, ooh,
0: it adds hmm. a, it adds a layer.
1: It's like when you um uh. That backmasking thing in, in songs where you're like, hey man, if you play this song backwards, like it says, <laughs> hail Satan, and you listen to it, because they've told you it sounds like hail Satan, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, that kind of sounds like hail Satan. It doesn't, yeah. it, it's not really.
0: That's like, if I read Taylor blogs for too long, I become convinced that Taylor Swift is definitely in a lesbian relationship with Carly Kloss. Mm. But then as soon as I go and look at it, like, like take some space from that and then go look at it myself. I'm like, no. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe, but like definitely they think that like the most adamant people think that all of the, all of Taylor Swift's boyfriends were, um, stunts they call them like they were stunting so they weren't real they were just like there's that there's always that um Is rumor that... about hollywood that it's like people are having fake relationships for, oh yeah like people thought Swift was fake and just to to like get press and stuff like that which who knows people thought it was a music video like a really high concept music video for a while amazing i love this stuff because it does it makes life more fun um but the people who are like no, she's not with Joe Alwyn, her current boyfriend. She's definitely still in love with a woman, uh, and secretly dating a woman, but but has this fake boyfriend to cover things up. I'm like, going back to Occam's Razor, hmm. <laughs> maybe she just has a boyfriend. Yeah. And like, also, I get annoyed with some Kaylers are very adamant that Taylor Swift can't possibly be attracted to men, and I'm like, you know, bisexuality is a thing, you guys. <laughs> like, hmm. <laughs> she could be into both women and men because. They're very adamant that like if she likes, if she if she ever dated a woman, then all of her boyfriends were fake, uh, which is some okay. very severe biophobia. Yeah. Um. And also, it's like Taylor Swift is like like who else has built such a career around boys? <laughs> like, about about liking boys, I should say. I mean, you know, it's her thing. So I mean, if it, it would be like a really long con if since she was twelve, she's been like, I'm gonna sing about how much I like boys all the time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Little do they know. But
0: one day I'm going to date a Victoria's m- secret supermodel.
1: <laughs> Maybe when you're, you're that rich and sex- successful and famous, that's the only way you can experience joy oh. is by deceiving people that much and having oh a whole other life. Do you know what? Yeah.
0: You know, you're probably right. Because she sings a lot about how like, she's keeping secrets from, from, the, from the world and how she's so good at hiding her real life whoa she's taunting
1: you the closer she gets in her lyrics to rubbing it in your face the more she gets off on it
0: oh my god that makes so much sense we've really tangented into my thing here (laughs) and i'm sorry about that um
1: thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for having me caitlin you can hear
0: the crossover episode of gimme empathy uh recorded on the same day where scott interviews me for his podcast uh quote a podcast about a man trying to reconnect with a shattered, shattered world. And that was before COVID-19. <laughs> uh, Give Me Empathy has been on hiatus since the pan began, but there are 60 episodes there to listen to, and Scott is a great interviewer. Uh, he's interested in how people live their lives, so if you like JASP, you'll probably enjoy GE too. And... Uh, given Scott's many many connections to Brisbane's indie music scene, there's tons of musicians on there, and probably some of your favorites. Uh, I'll put links to my two episodes of Give Me Empathy in the show notes. Speaking of Brisbane indie music, Scott fronts the Brisbane band Slumlord. Slum, it's like Slumlord, but it's Slumlord. Lord. Um, like it's hard with my accent. Uh, I got to see them play live at the Post Office in Coburg back in May. Uh, in a brief window in Melbourne where we were allowed to do things like that. Um, loved it, can't wait for their album Fuckburg, which is coming out next month, October 2021. And Scott's band Slumlord is signed with rising DIY label Off The List Records, a new record label created with the aim to make Australia's music industry more accessible and inclusive. They've got disabled people on their board, they're signing disabled artists, and they're making sure their shows and releases are accessible to everyone. Link in the show notes. You can also hear Scott uh, hosting live delay on 4 Z. Again, I will link to this. I will be appearing at the National Young Writers Festival next week. Uh, this year, the whole festival is digital, so you can acce- access it online from anywhere. And as always, the festival is free. On the first night of the festival, Thursday, the 30th of September, I get to be an agony aunt. I'll be talking about agony aunts, and it's, it's an ode to them. And on Saturday night, the 2nd of October, I will be doing a reading of fan fiction. Looking forward to that. There are heaps of other great young writers featuring at the festival, so I recommend checking it out. This will be my third or fourth time as a National Writers Festival artist. And since I'm 35, probably my last time, aging out of that young bracket. Okay, that's almost all the plugs. One final one. If you like this podcast and you would like to support me to keep creating it uh, and doing other things like paying rent and buying food consider supporting my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Blythe by name. Um, obviously no, uh, obligation. Um, I just really appreciate it if you've got the money and it's, you know, i try to, I'll try to throw up some special extras there when I can, but for now, thanks for listening. And I hope you find a little spoonful of something to keep you going.